You're listening to the Con Artist Podcast. The art of confidence in the creative mind with Allison Robertson and Blake McIver. Hi, Allison. Hello. How are you? We're, you know, I'm, I'm well. I'm actually well, I have Good. to say. Good. Yes. We, we'll take yes. well. Yes, yes, yes. I am yes. well as well. I got out in I got out in nature today. I I climbed a mountain. I found a waterfall. Well, I didn't find a waterfall. My friend who hikes all the time showed me a waterfall. But oh, I love that. I love that. Well, I have been again. I'm doing a little spring cleaning, changing things around. I don't know if it's my my anxiety relief, but I'm constantly creating bags of stuff and getting rid of stuff. And we have an alley in our back behind our home. And I have a little table out there that I just put things out there and they just disappear. So I call it the oh. alley uh, yard sale. Alley, me being the alley and it being right. in, the, in alley. the alley. So, it's perfect. you know, I, I figured someone needs it or I don't know. So if you need anything <laughs> from my home, go to the table in my alley and go I go to that, I'm- go to Allie's alley. <laughs> that actually sounds dirty. <laughs> I kind of like it though. The alley alley. Okay. <laughs> All right. We have a wonderful guest today that we're very excited to have on the podcast. But before we have, before we bring him in, we've got, we've got to address like in our, in our pre-show meet, neither one of us could stop talking about the Framing Britney Spears documentary, I the can't. New York Times. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just, we can't stop thinking about it. We can't stop talking about it. We can't stop being outraged by it. Like, let's, let's it. get to there. It's the outrage. It's the complicitness that we had as fans or people or society. I think that's where it rubbed me. I mean, I don't know if I ever said a kind word or not a kind word. I don't know what my position was, but it right. definitely. Well, there was so much hypocrisy. an advocate now. Yes. And there was so much hypocrisy in the media throughout this journey of making and breaking because they built her and destroyed her in equal parts. Well, actually not in equal parts. They destroyed her more than they built her. Um, She built the empire. Yes. But there was, I saw the other day, a tweet from People Magazine saying like something about standing in solidarity with Britney or like some, you know, expression of outrage about the documentary. And someone compiled all of the mag, all of the People Magazine covers that had Britney on them where they were saying something either sexist or exploiting her mental breakdown or, and just saying, hey, this still y'all? Question yeah. mark? <laughs> What's your position? I mean, you got to come out and make a statement out. That's why I said what I said. Like, I yeah. don't know if I ever... But this woman, this woman, yes, who we watched grow up mm-hmm. in our United States of America, deserves something much bigger than what she is getting right now. Yeah. In far as respect, uh, freedom, an honoring, an understanding, and just a safe place to live. Yeah. Amen to all of that. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into it with our guest, who is an expert on all things <laughs> Brittany. <laughs> but we're also we also want to talk to him. So let's let's bring him in. All right, we are so excited to bring in our special guest today to the con artist. Uh, please welcome a dear friend of ours and an amazing artist. I think I've referred to him as an entrepreneur, but he's also a writer and an amazing human being who I love dearly. Welcome, Matthew Scott Montgomery. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I I identify first as a Britney Spears fan amongst, uh, before all those things. Correct. Um, Correct. So 
So you we left a major there. part out, Blake. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. Take two. Your resume yes. is now complete. Please welcome Britney Spears, aficionado, super lover, Matthew yeah. Scott Montgomery. Yes, that's how I make a living. That's my world just revolves around that. Kind of actually though, I mean, our, our lives, you know, millennials specifically, we, our lives revolve around her pretty much consistently. God, you know what I'm yes. saying? 100% yes. Yeah. yeah, we love her. We we love you, Brittany. We love you, Brittany, so much. Absolutely. Well, and well, we're gonna get okay. we're gonna get all into Brittany in a second. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. We were just talking about it, so you're you're right on right on point there. Yes. Well, back to not Brittany, just for just for a second. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a massive fan of the both of you. Some of my favorite memories ever on stage are with both of you separately. I've had really amazing experiences with Allison on stage. And I have amazing, uh, in, uh, I think amazing and incredible are good ways to describe like yours and oh, my performance yeah. experience together. Um, yes. I was amazed and um, uh, it's hard to put credibility to that. So it was it, incredible. It, it and was amazing. incredible. I cannot credit, yeah. I cannot make it credible, but yes. it was, yes, but we had fun. Yeah, so it's it's great to be with you um, virtually and auditorially today. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I just adore you. I, I adore everything about you. But I have to say, since you brought up performing, I, you know, for those that aren't familiar with Matthew, uh, performing with Matthew is like having someone hold your hand and then say, okay, and now we're going to jump off this cliff. And you literally have no choice, but you have to go. And every <laughs> sense that you have gets lit up. And you're like, okay, I'm in it and I'm alive. And this is the greatest, this is the greatest feeling ever. So you are the oh, most fun you. to play with on stage. I'm glad you feel that way. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I can should... be a ham. I can be a little Christmas ham on stage sometimes, you know, you know. We should tell the listeners though, the two things that we have been in with Matthew because they're just if you have no context they're just even more hilarious like if we just <laughs> say what they were so Allison you and Matthew were on stage together in a walk to remember the musical thank you and <laughs> yes. Matthew and I were on stage together in Anchorman the musical the musical <laughs> yes <laughs> That's so, it's so fantastically random to mention it. Because when yeah. I think, because when I think heteronormative machismo <laughs> in the 70s, the first two people I think of are myself and Matthew Scott Montgomery. <laughs> like, honestly, like, Allison, I'm sure we told you this already, and listeners, Blake and I clung to each other during that process because I was like, I don't get it. I was like, I don't think it's funny. Like, I don't know what Anchorman is. I'm like, this is a straight people thing. And like, we were just like, we chose our own dressing room. We're like, this is the queer section. And we'd like look at each other mid rehearsal and be like, what are we doing? And Blake's like, I don't know. But then somehow, some way on stage, it became like kind of magic. And it, totally. as some of the, the most passionate response from an audience I've ever heard in my life and we joked about it because it was like a lot of straight people who normally don't go see musical theater wanted to see Anchorman. Not just saying that Anchorman is just for straight people, but like canonically, but it it's, definitely you know, has that sensibility. Yeah, yes. and so there were a bunch of people that have who normally were trying to kill me growing up, giving me a standing ovation on stage. You oh, know what I mean? So the amount of bro dudes <laughs> that Matthew and I had swarming us after that show. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was, was a, very strange. It was, a, it was a fever dream of an experience. It really was. And I was so I mean Blake Blake and I have known each other for years and years and years. And that was I think our first time performing together. Is that it right? Was, yeah. Which Definitely our first seems... time doing anything live. 
theater. Yeah, which yeah. seemed which seemed it seemed crazy that it took that long, and then for all the things for us to be working on together for it to be Anchorman, but it killed. It did really really well. We were supposed to bring it back, and then like you know other things and COVID yeah, and stuff COVID got in the way. Won't, won't. And, but you know, but it maybe should just leave that. Just a beautiful straight <laughs> memory yes, of ours. Just a just a, it was put a, a, it was put a our, ribbon on it. It was our farewell kiss to heterosexuality at all at that point. Yes. <laughs> I will say although all of our experiences on stage with Matthew is sort of like trauma bonding. So we're, we're in it for life now. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, uh we'll see how how it evolves, but like pre-2020, um LA had a had I'm gonna say has. LA has a very bustling theater um, world that you don't hear about a whole lot Mm -mm, and we're a bunch of scrappy performers who doing pop-up shows here and there shoving ourselves up barely rehearsing at all I know we all know what it's like in in here to to barely rehearse something and then you're in front of a live audience tonight and we'll see how it goes kind of thing but like you know I, I like to give LA just a little bit of theater credit that like you know we we love our theater and we we get it done and I kind of fell into this world of musical like I did so many like movie musicals at places like Rockwell Table and Stage and Three Clubs and El Cid and all these places um it's like an underground secret uh uh, guerrilla theater musical theater happening that we've all participated in together it is in New York New York gives us a bad rap but it's uh, they don't know about the underground stuff yeah but I think Matthew said it perfectly it's the scrappiness it's the it's the determination it's the we we don't care what you think. We're still going to put on theater, right? Yeah. And um, it's a lot of us that like are identify as theater people. I've already said I identify as a lot of things. Britney Spears fan, a theater person. I love musical theater. But like when you find a musical theater person in LA, you're kind of like, you get it. We're, 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 we're in on this thing together. Hold on to me. And then it's yep. like, we want to live in LA because we love LA. And, you know, I have a big film and tv dreams and new york is not quite the right fit for me but that doesn't mean my ass doesn't still like some theater you know what i mean so it's like our little theater community sometimes transplants from new york or chicago or wherever it is we do hold on tight to each other absolutely i love it i love it so take us back a little bit, Matthew, because I know our listeners are going to want to know, and I forget this sometimes because you are so accomplished and you've done so much that I think of you as like someone who's just been a part of my life for forever, but you actually haven't been in Los Angeles that long. So it's even more impressive what you have accomplished in your short time just since you moved here. So talk to me a, a little bit, talk to us a little bit about the, the birth of your uh, LA life and career here. Yeah, well, I'll I'll just tell a really early specific story that I think that I think I mentioned to you before. But uh, for everyone listening, you know, when I I didn't grow up in a household that was didn't know the household didn't know to give me the opportunities that I needed. A lot of offer to, opportunities were offered to me with sports and sports, mm. and so like that. <laughs> so as much as I wish I was like that kid who had gone to acting camp and done you know, acting classes, dance classes, um, voice lessons. I kind of had to figure that out on my own. And once I figured out, I could ask for those things. They existed. I kind of hit the ground running and I just wanted to do as much as I possibly could. When I, I moved here a little over 10 years ago, I guess that, that, that doesn't seem like a short amount of time, but like 
gosh, Blake, just follow me around and introduce me to everyone because you make me feel real good and accomplished about myself. But um, <laughs> you are, you are. You <laughs> oh, thanks. Very impressive. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm in good company. So when I first moved out here, I had a whole lot to prove. I I grew up mostly in North Carolina. I did go to NYU for two seconds and dropped out to come here. <laughs> and but but most the easiest way to say is I, I grew up in North Carolina and I had a lot to prove to everyone back there and even more so to myself. And so when I got out here, I very quickly just started saying yes to every opportunity. A lot of that was theater immediately, just like submitting myself on, there's a website called Actors Access where you can submit yourself. And I would just got got some friend, uh, friend to take a picture and just started submitting myself left and right. And what I did was... There, it's happening now still virtually, but there was this thing at the time back in like 10 years ago or so where it was casting director workshops. So it was workshops where you would pay to perform in front of a casting director. And the idea was that it was a class, but like the unspoken thing is just to be seen in front of casting people. And I didn't have a lot of money. And so I, there was a place that was doing these workshops and I said, can I work the garage to tell people where to park. They had like a garage attendant. I was like, can I do that? And then in exchange for the work that I do there, that would pay for classes. I could take classes. And I turned on the personality and was very assertive and they said yes. And so what I did was it would be several nights a week. I would sit down in the garage and casting directors would drive through and I would give them 15 seconds of the most personality you've ever seen. And one of those plays that I had auditioned for off of Actors Access, I actually got the part for a play called Yellow by Del Shores, who is a mutual friend of ours. It was being produced by this guy that I hear terrible things about, Emerson Collins. Oh. Yeah, what's his, yeah, what's he up to these days? I don't know his days? story. Um, we, should yes. <laughs> we should talk to him sometime. I mean, LA is a small, it's a small town. Am I, am I right? You know what I mean? Like if, if the three of us didn't know each other for one way, it, it would, it would have happened regardless. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like, anyway, so I would, I would sit down in the parking garage and, you know, chat up these CDs. And when yellow, when the play that I was in, when I knew that it was starting up, I put like little postcards and posters of yellow next to the parking attendant station. And when cast directors would drive through, they would be like, what is that? I was like, Oh, whatever. It's just, some stupid silly play that I'm in I have some tickets this weekend do you like theater I guess I have some extra if you want and then I would offer tickets to these cast directors the the gag was I didn't have the free tickets and I would pay for the tickets myself and make and you know and they would come see the show thinking it was like comp tickets and that uh several casting directors came to see me in yellow including a casting director who cast me on Disney Channel. And that's how I worked on Disney Channel for several years because all of that started. And so, I mean, that's a very tiny story of a lot, a lot of work that I continue to do all day, every day, but that's kind of how, that's kind of how it began. You know, things shift and change. So it's so, it was so different 10 years ago and it's, and it's changing even more so now. I don't think I've ever used the word scrappy until tonight, but now it's coming to mind. I feel like there's like some kind of like scrappiness of like young artists or you, it's up to you to like kind of make up your own way and figure it out yourself. Because there's, if there was some class to teach you how to make it actually do that, everyone would take that class. But the truth is for everyone, it's going to be different. And you, you have to, you, you have to do you. You hear that, you hear that advice so often where it's like, just be yourself. And like, you know, it takes time to figure out who you are and what you want and how you want to do it. But you, you have to, you have to figure that out, whatever that is for yourself. 
I want, I 100% agree with that. But I think one of the, I want to ask you about that time, but I sure. think one of the things you're, you're saying about now is that we're in that rebirth right now of where mm -hmm. the rules are getting rewritten. So taking a story like you just shared with us, that is all going to come back into play doing you being, being just who you are and, and throwing the rules out the window. So what made you throw the rules out the window? Cause there's a lot of actors that would have had noise about, I don't want to change, you know, exchange for class. I don't know how to mm. self promote. Like where did that come from? Um, I think I didn't have very much to lose in a way where it was like, like I was saying, like there was kind of a need to, to prove myself. And I think, I think one way that things are changing so fantastically is kind of even like how one chooses to dress or present oneself says a lot about them. And they're kind of like these unspoken rules that we're beginning to break down where it's like, you don't have to look a certain way to, to book a part necessarily. It breaks my heart to hear. I've had two two guys, this is not exactly answering your question, Allison, but I, I will come back okay. to it. There are two, two guys that I've talked to recently, three, I'm sorry, one who is Filipino, one who is Chinese and one who is Mex one who's Mexican. And all of them didn't, they wanted to be actors growing up, but they abandoned the dream of it because they didn't see anyone like themselves. And specifically, the guy that I'm talking about who's Mexican-American was like, I just don't want to play janitors for the rest of my life. So why would I do that to myself? Mm. And, you know, what's what's so great about how we're beginning to evolve as a culture is we're opening up more opportunities to different kinds of people. I mean, like growing up in North Carolina, all of us growing up, I mean, like the heteronormativity and the structural and systemic misogyny that exists, there's nothing more shameful than being a woman or acting feminine in any kind of way. Right. You know, the the dark curse of kind of, of, of one of the dark curses of America is how much we slash they slash we used to hate women. And so a lot of it was, you know, when I first moved out here, there was, I was definitely cognizant of code switching and trying to butch it up if, if need be, but you, you've met me before that ain't me. You know what I'm saying? And the, the short, the show that I did with, with Del Shores yellow, the one we were talking about before I played an extremely flamboyantly over the top kind of, uh, gay character who was dealing with a lot of intense, serious things, uh, dealing with his sexuality and coming out. And it was a real gift to get to play that part because it was kind of a catharsis for me. And I'd gotten so used to being shamed for that growing up. And then I moved to Los Angeles and like the most swishy, open, not second guessy version of myself living through this character is what was my ticket to... Mm. Um, working and you know that that show that I was doing was not for it was not for children and it was not like Disney Channel friendly but a <laughs> cast director from uh, yeah a, a cast director from Disney saw me in that and thought I would be good for you know this Disney Channel show which I ended up booking and I was like really because I had this narrative in my head where I was like well I'm too gay to ever like do that you have to like butch it mm. up for that to happen and Disney used the word edgy they were but they were very I, they never made me feel any type of way about it like Disney Channel at all but what I think we have so many different role models now and that so much so that it's opening the door for you know all kinds of people no matter how they identify to be seen and to feel okay with being themselves and wanting to show themselves off I think that's one of the beauties of TikTok is like that's a thing where it's like 
Gen Z and like us millennials who are whoever's on there, you know what I mean? Like we're, we can be ourselves and figure what, figure that out. And that's real people. So real people are going to be in plays and movies and television because, because art is about real people. So why do we all have to pretend to be a straight white person to, you know, be successful? Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. I'm not sure. I don't think that actually answered your question, Allison, but that's where the spirit led me. No, but it, it, it is answering my question because it, I mean, it sounds so cliche, just be you, just be who you are, bring what talent you have, bring what your gifts are. And, you know, by whatever reason, that's what you did mm. by expressing you as an artist, by your desire to want to be in this industry. And like, it all came together. And of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. but you can see how that path led you exactly where you needed to be. Instead of if you had led it, your mm-hmm. judgment or your fears or your preconceived notion would have stopped that. Yes. Yes. Agreed. I love it. Okay. So I have a question for yeah. you. <laughs> so after the success of, first of all, tell, tell us a little bit, tell us a little bit about the Disney channel unlocking the doors that that unlocked. And then mm. I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, that, that scary moment that a lot of, us artists and creatives have right where Mm -hmm. okay so we we got to a pinnacle of a mountain of a thing that we wanted to accomplish but it's not everything we want to accomplish so how do we dive off the next diving board and it looks a little bit different for all of us but i'm super inspired by you and how you have navigated that so let's let's back up let's talk about let's talk about disney for a second yeah. How that how that sort of evolved out of like you literally I mean, because that's a, that's a dream scenario, right? Where you're like you were doing a play in L.A. theater, which most people are like, what? There's theater in L.A. Yeah. And then you get on a television show from a casting director seeing you. And it, it's like the perfect Nirvana it's the dream. moment, right? It's the, yeah, it's the actor moment. So what yeah. was that like coming in? Did you come into the show right at the beginning or had it already been on? So what happened first was I was cast in the pilot of a show called Shake It Up. Yes. And oh, I, yes. It's and this we, we have Zendaya because of Shake It Up. We do. Yeah. And so so originally when I was auditioning, it was me and Zendaya and Bella Thorne. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, went rounds of auditions, booked it. And then I, the note that we, when we got to shoot the pilot, the note that I got was that I was pulling focus. And so they ended up cutting the part down to two lines. And then I was cut from the show completely. So it's like, I'm still in the pilot. I literally go two minutes, people. I like walk in and like say that because like, I was like the, the like angry disgruntled stage manager at this kid's dance show, show Shake It Up Chicago. Yeah. It was like and American Bandstand for kids at the time. Yes, yes. And so, you know, that was one of the many quick lessons where it's like, I'm on the show. Wait, I'm not, you know, kind of thing. But, but what was so great was casting over at Disney is there's such, there's such great people, lovely people. And some of them still work with them. Howie Meltzer is the one who brought me in for shake yes. it up and saw me in yellow, which eventually led to Cheryl Levine, who's a casting director who was casting a show called sunny with a chance. And then that became on the third season became so random. And so basically what happened was I kind of didn't realize I was on the show until like weeks into being in the show. It was kind of a strange scenario where I was on as a recurring guest star and they were kind of testing me out a little bit. I remember my first episode that I shot, 
I was staying in another building when there was no power. So like, as the sun went down, I was completely in a dark office building and then they came to get me. And then I performed in front of a live audience and then I went back. So it's, it was very humbling the process of it because I did not feel like I had made it and I'm a star. It was like, I was just so like thankful to have any kind of work that I didn't want to rock the boat or like complain about anything. I've, I learned so many lessons about how to speak up and ask for what you need. But at that point I was just like, I don't, I don't want to bother anyone. Thanks for having me. No, this is fine. I promise. And that's like a lesson for maybe another podcast or maybe another episode, but so, but they kept bringing me back. So they would bring me back for another episode and another until I ended up doing the entire season. And it probably wasn't until like five or six episodes in when my stuff had started airing, I tested really well. And there were these three powers that be at Disney and they pulled me aside one night and they're like, um, audiences like you a whole lot. And I was like, oh, oh, thanks. And they're like, we're going to keep, we're, we have a lot of stuff planned for you. I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, I guess I am on the show. Like, I guess, guess this is happening. And they started using me for like healthy living segments on Disney Channel. And then I was doing um, like commentary for Lion King 3D for some reason. And <laughs> it was, they kept, they kept me very busy. So it's like, I, I worked seven days a week and you know, they would take, put us on red carpets after we got done at work. And then I was on another show called Austin and Allie that I shot mm-hmm. at the same time as that. And so it was just like a crazy, that was a crazy kind of whirlwind situation. And then I had some drama with my agent at the time, but another agency was coming to like woo me over to their agency, which was the Gersh agency, who's an incredible agency and a dream one to have. And I was, I got signed with Gersh and then, you know, had a good pilot season. And then I saw on Twitter that our, that So Random had been canceled. <laughs> and so that's how I found out. I found out on oh, social media. Gosh. And then my agent at Gersh left the agency and left me with another agent there. And she told me that they only used, they only had working clients because my show was canceled. I'm not a working actress. So they dropped me. So I was like, like out of nowhere, I all of a sudden, I truly felt like I had had nothing. And it was really, it was really, um, it gave me whiplash for sure um, to have that like two years of, you know, working every single day and, you know, having an agent come pitch, come to the, come to set, come to my dressing room, trying to like bring me over to this like dream agency. And then they're like, oh, never mind. And it took me a very long time to bounce back from that. Frankly, in a way I still, I still am. But what, what's a good lesson from that is, if you, I hesitate to say, if you choose to be in this business, because one could argue like, you don't choose to be in this business, it chooses you. I mean, it like depends on what you mean by like the business and where you're talking about. Right. So because I have to act and I, and I, I want to act as much as possible, it doesn't feel like a choice, but what, but what it, but you know, as we know here, it's like when one gig is over, you start back at square one and you're the rest of our careers. We're going to have to be keep, keep working. There's no like mountaintop peak where you finally hit a place, at least not in my experience or my beliefs. It's just, it's your, it's continually going to be trying to find that next thing and working towards that and taking steps on the side to, um, remind yourself what's real and what's not, and how do you negotiate your happiness throughout that those situations. I'm very grateful that I had those experiences, like the more negative ones, earlier on, because you know you do you your skin toughens up a whole lot. 
Um, and I'm not the kind of person to ever be like callous or like build up walls, but like you do, it makes the next bad thing that happens like, oh yeah, I can handle this. I've done that before. It's like, oh, I've had a show cancel. Oh, I've been dropped by that agent. Oh, like that never happened. Like in a way it feels like benchmarks that you're going through because you got to, you know, you've been, you survived through that. I mean, like right. you were saying out, like, well, it's a dream job, right? To dream job to like be in a play and then to be on network TV or whatever. But then also it's what's the worst case scenario. The show gets canceled. Your agent drops you. You know what I mean? Like that's you, so it's you like. You went full circle. You went full I circle. Did. Which, you had to live out both extremes. Yes. Yeah. But it's about that recovery. And I always say that, you know, the some of the best artists are the ones that can recover and mm. how they recover because mm. there's no no one would fault you had you said i'm all done like this is yeah. good this is not for me and yeah. and took it super personally so yeah. I, I think there's something to be said to our artists that are listening about that 360 journey and not yeah. take it personally yeah. even though it's right. so much about you <laughs> yeah i posted something on twitter a couple of weeks ago just I've, I, frankly, in 2021, it's been a very rough year career-wise. I had an audition this morning where I had it, it, cartoonishly hurtful things said to me by a casting director this morning. That oh. happened this morning. And when that happened, I was like, ow, oh yeah, I forgot about this thing. And I had to do the work today to build myself back up. And I was like, damn, for some reason I thought like, I don't know if I thought it was like past it, but I was like, that stuff still happens. I posted on Twitter a few weeks ago where I was saying like, yo, I was like, anyone who's like wanting to be an actor, it's the greatest, but keep in mind, I think I said three things. And the first one was, I don't remember. One of them was uh, talking about when you're playing a part that's emotionally difficult or puts you like in a bad headspace. Yes. And it was describing like, that's that's part of the job sometimes. And you gotta yeah. be ready to handle that. And if you, if you don't, if you can't handle that, just say no to the gig and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Another one of those things is if you're putting yourself out there, you have to expect there to be negative things said about you on the internet and you just cannot look at them or you have to learn how to deal with them. And then I think the first one I said was just rejection because like, it, it, it's it's real easy to be like I can handle rejection like that's okay like blah but like rejection has like many many different forms and you know the microaggressions of rejection build up after time and so like I it's such a it's such an honor and a compliment for like you to describe me as or both of you described like me successful and have accomplished a lot I still feel like a freshman here where I'm still like figuring it out and I think I posted you know I have I have a uh, a, a pretty awesome social media following. And I was post, I posted that. And a lot of people like, just, I think might assume that I don't deal with those things or like people who have had an acting job were rich and you're on full yeah. house. So you are rich. Absolutely. And, I get people you know think I mean? that like, all the time. You just, we just live in our mansions, like, like Scrooge McDuck with our gold <laughs> coins. We just swim in all day. And it's diving. like, that's but not can true. I, can we, but can we talk about that for a minute? Because I, you yeah. know, I, I love the honesty. I love the, that you're still optimistic and that you're still, you know, imparting wisdom, but let's all talk about that because I have a, a book that was on the Forbes list. So people literally think that the money is rolling in. Blake, you have, you have albums. You have, I, I think we need to dispel that a working actor or working performer or working artist is exactly that. They need to work in order mm -hmm. to, there's a difference between stardom and working and notoriety. And, and I think that needs to be demystified because well, think, it, makes, well, it puts us into a box. 
the common misconception about any level of fame to people outside of our business or people outside of commoditizing art is yeah. that if you have achieved any level, if you're in the box bracket at all, even if you're on the bottom rung of it, that you are then done, you are successful. Like you have, you have ticked mm -hmm. the box because everyone else thinks about our careers as linear and the mm -hmm. career of an artist is the least linear thing in the world. If anything, yeah. we're just on a roller coaster that goes in loops all day long. Yeah, it's like a tornado. <laughs> yeah. It's like a tornado, right? That, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so it's it's reframing that and also being okay enough with ourselves to go, oh, right, this is this part of the ride. Gotcha. It doesn't yeah. matter what other people are seeing because they're only seeing the snapshot at the end of the ride. They're just seeing the like, yeah. the smiley, happy, you know, for $30, right. you can take this home <laughs> snapshot. They're not seeing the, the whole journey. Yeah. A lot of what the three of us do, you know, it, it's a lot of self-promotion. That's just kind of how it works, especially in social media. And I think there's this idea that like, there's kind of an idea that like social media is a lie. So it's like, everyone pretends their lives are great. And I think everything we post in social media is true. It's just a highlight reel. We just don't show the rest of it. Yeah. So it's like, it's not like we're there's faking it. It's not like we're like posting, you know, we, we only post the really good stuff because <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, like, and then every now and then sometimes people will like post like, you know, the darker side of it, but like social media is definitely a highlight reel. I love what you said about stardom, Allison, because I, I when I was, when I, was at the tail end of the Disney stuff. Disney was was and is incredibly good at making stars specifically, not necessarily actors. I mean, there's an, there's exceptions to all that, and I'm not saying anyone who's on Disney Channel can't act or, or whatever it is. I'm just saying like their their mo and how they make money is creating stars to create brands to like that's what they do. Yeah. And I started to be a little bit of a uh, a little bitch diva when I was towards the end of my run there because I was like I don't feel like I'm acting anymore. I was like I'm a serious artist. I come from theater. You don't understand. Like I wanted to like I. Just didn't feel like I was, you know, acting anymore. And so when the show got canceled, immediately I was like, you know, I don't feel like you get, it's so easy to get swept up in, you know, stardom is all about like getting attention, right? We all like mm -hmm. attention. You know, I love it. You, we all love it, you know, like loving attention, but like, do you want to be an artist or do you want attention? You know, I mean? it's like, what's, what's more important there. And so I, you know, in the, in the Disney world, you know, like everything is about what you look like and attention and stuff like that. There's nothing wrong or right about that. That's just like kind of how, especially maybe like kids television is, it's about like image and things like that. That's so their business when model. that's their business model yeah. you, that you have to accept. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like my like batteries had been depleted a little bit because it'd been so much back and forth about, you know, kind of turmoil with the show being canceled and me finding out online and then like drama with agents and things like that, that where I turned to was theater immediately. Mm. I was like, I have to do a play. I was like, I'm doing this because I love to act and I love to perform. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, even if it's, and the first thing I did after the show was canceled was a tiny little play at the Zephyr theater on Melrose that I think like a handful of people saw. And I just needed to get my artists batteries recharged and for me specifically, theater was the purest form of that. It's the purest form of connecting and acting. And that was the core of everything that made me happy. And so for the next few years after the show was canceled, I tried to do as much theater as possible. And if there wasn't a part for me, I wrote a part for myself and I would put up plays of my own because I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of a, some of the way that I bounce back.
Well, and I want to highlight that for a second, because like what what is so impressive to me about you is your point of view and your voice in your writing, as well as how that materializes itself in your acting. And for a lot of artists that have this moment of like, okay, what do I do now? I have to act, I have to perform. And you cultivated this amazing skill right alongside of it. I mean, I think I've seen what, six or seven of your plays? Like, oh. in incredible work, incredibly uh, thoughtful and thought provoking, and yet feeling so fresh and immediate. You do that so effortlessly. And and it's it's so impressive to me because it's like, when did you decide or think, oh, I have something to say and-, and yeah it's going to resonate with people because like i i know for me just speaking for me personally your work that you've written and performed resonates with me on such a visceral level wow what an incredibly gracious thing to say thank you so much for saying i mean that. it I, i'm not you know me i'm not nice i'm honest yeah 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 <laughs> yeah i i don't know if it was even a conscious kind of thing it got to well it kind of started from again it was like me being a little kid not having the opportunities that i I, my inner child wanted, but I didn't, my mm -hmm. like higher self didn't know that that's what I needed. And so I think I've told you the story too before, but I used to, there's a long version of the story. I'll tell you the short version. I used to, I wasn't allowed to watch Will and Grace. So I would sneakily watch Will and Grace and I would tape it on TV. And when my family went to sleep, I would watch it really quietly. I'd write down the dialogue and then I would try to like perform the show in my mirror and like recreate what I saw in Will and Grace. So like, that was like a subconscious, I needed to like get that out. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like I, I, I identified with something there and you know, it was a similar kind of feeling where it was like, huh, I want to do another play. I want to do something, but I, you know, there's nothing for me right now. What kind of play would I want to be in? And I remember the first play that I wrote and put up in LA, I think was either, I did a, can I say the F word on here? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I did a, I put up a show called fuck Valentine's day on Valentine's day weekend. <laughs> and then I did an annual Halloween show that I would do. But what, what that started from was I was like, I love Halloween and like, I love holidays and I want to be in a play with my friends. And so I just wrote the, the more or less kind of the way I speak or the kind of parts that I would want to play. And I would cast my friends who were from film and television who had never done theater before. And I was like, oh, let me show you this play thing. It's really cool. You can't yell cut. You have to do it all the way through, but you do it in front of a live audience. They're not children. Like, you know, it's, and you it have was to exciting. memorize it all at once. Yeah. Not just scene and by it was, scene. <laughs> that was an aha moment for a lot of them, actually. Some of my castmates from Disney Channel, they saw, you know, a play that I wrote was the first play that they ever saw and they, they didn't have any exposure to that. You know, a lot of them grew up on working on TV since they were, you know, little, little, like three years old. So like the, all they'd known was like film and television and, and the comfort of that. And so I think theater was this really exciting challenge. And I was like excited to show them that. And that's kind of just like where I just wanted to do stuff. And so I was like, I just want to, what kind of thing would I want to see? I, like, I didn't really consciously think like, I'm going to write the greatest play or I'm going to like try to even try to connect with people necessarily. I mean, I did a show called Dead Boys later that that was more of a, like a drama and, and, I, and that was a lot of issues that I got to have catharsis with a lot of issues that I experienced growing up. But before that, I was kind of just like, I just wanted to express myself. And again, you're right, Allison, we're 2020, hindsight is 2020. It's like, you look back and you can kind of trace me trying, I had, I had something to say, but I didn't know I was trying to say it. And, you know, being able to write that and then write for myself to perform it, 
it was, it was very healing. And I kind of got addicted to that feeling, but I, it's like, you didn't know what's happening until you're in it. And even like years later, you fully realize it. It's, so it's hard it has, to say like, yeah. It, but it has everything to do with your recovery and your, honestly, your belief in yourself. And I hope that our listeners are listen, uh, taking that gold nugget away is that mm. it's not that you didn't feel something or you didn't experience it, but you then turned it around and created with it which mm -hmm. is the true form of, of artistry. And I think a lesson in there too is, you know, we've talked just now about the like the nebulous aspect of like be yourself that everyone tells us in the industry. And, but what you were able to do is take your impulses that are very true to you, very true to yourself, and then apply your gifts and talents on top of them. And so I think that's why the work resonates so much because you are technically just being yourself, but it's so much more layered than that. And it, it's, there's so much more skill and work involved in merging those two things together that I think people don't always think about. Like, it's not just turn the camera on and just be yourself, you know, or get yeah, up on yeah. stage and just do it. I think maybe something that I falsely believe for a bit was it's like, you have to either dumb yourself down or broaden yourself to reach as many people as possible. When the truth is the more specific you are, and the more like whatever specific to your experience, more people will identify it. And if more people don't, those people who identify with it will identify with it way stronger than, yeah. you know, there used to be some phrase where it's like a 2%, where it's like, if you do something for the 2% of the audience, the 2% of the audience is going to get it way more and appreciate more than that 98% ever could all combined. Because it's like, it's something that's so specific. That's, I mean, like, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Taylor Swift is such a good songwriter is because all of her songs are so specific totally. and you know, it, it's been less and less, but like earlier on her career, it's like, we're trying to figure out who she's talking about. And like, can we relate to Taylor Swift? Yeah. There are a lot of ways we can't. Yeah. Sure. You know what I mean? But it's like the more specific she is, you know, a lyric that's something very, very specific. Even if we don't have that exact experience, it could ping something that's the same experience for us. So I think I had like, the more I found that the more specific I am, the more people seem to resonate with it. I, it, it's so true. And like the, the example that I use ad nauseum is the chorus line factor, right? Yeah. Like when that show became a huge hit in the mid seventies, the number one demographic of ticket buyers after like the first year was blue collar workers, male straight. Now, there had there was nothing in that show like if you want to talk about a specific journey the broadway chorus dancer open call like what and that's the whole thing you're gonna live for two hours in that one audition like you couldn't pitch that to a straight that guy, demographic no. because yeah. it was literally the thing of like for anyone who has stood on a line like it mm. resonates and i think again like you're saying it's because it's so specific right mm -hmm. we are our our greatest gift is our 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 thing that makes us the most uniquely us right mm. yes mm -hmm. no and I, I think that's why your voice is so important matthew i mean i know we're, we're 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 sharing so many things about you that we love but i for to our audience it is so important to hear that tenacity that belief I, i'm not saying you don't have doubts i'm not saying you don't have you know uh darker days but it's that ability to keep going forward Mm -hmm. which so many artists and so many, so many people forget to share their gifts and their talents because they are afraid of that judgment. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And the play that you mentioned that you wrote, Dead Boys, that I absolutely love, I got to see it twice, so be jealous of me, listeners. Um, <laughs> but you can see it too, right? There is Yeah, a... it's actually on YouTube. Yes. yes. Okay, so um, I want you to tell people, where because I love this play so much. Oh, it's thank so you fantastic. so much. You know, I'm in the process of adapting it to a screenplay because of a friend of mine who wants to direct it into a film. So I don't know if, if that were to ever happen, we'd yank it, the play off YouTube. But if right <laughs> now it's on, until further notice, it's on, that was during quarantine. During um, last year, during um, lockdown, I was kind of like, I had, I had the play filmed and I was like, you know, it's like two months into lockdown. I'm just like sitting and I was like, I'm proud of this thing. I'm just going to shove it up online. If people want to watch it, great. If they don't, cool. But like, I don't know when I'll get to do one of these again. So I'm just going to po post this online. So it's on my YouTube. My YouTube channel is just Matthew Scott Montgomery. And then it, it's uh, it's one scene. It's I think it's 78 minutes. It's, it's a two person play. And we ran off and on for two years and won a bunch of awards. And we did it at at I think four or five different theaters here in LA and it kind of evolved. It started kind of as a one act and then, then we had a full run of it at the Celebration Theater in West Hollywood. And uh, I'm looking at the poster on my wall right now. <laughs> and that was one where, yeah, that, that was one where it was a lot of hard work. You know, I talked before about being like, I'm gonna throw up the play with my friends. It'd be cute, like the holidays. And this was one where it's like, I, I had speci something specific that I wanted to say and I kind of knew how I wanted to say it. And I think I was ready to say it at that point. So yes, it's called Dead Boys and it's on YouTube. It's awesome. phenomenal. It's so great. Thank you so you much. Should, you absolutely, everyone who's listening should absolutely check it out. It's a brilliant piece of work. I love it. Oh, thank you. Well, we started off giving Matthew's, you know, bio. And we we have to talk about, but Blake and I were talking before you came on about the Britney Spears documentary. Mm. And how it incited us, it touched us. It, it And I know that you probably have something to say about this. And we would love to hear your thoughts about... And anybody that hasn't watched the documentary, please go watch it. Um, yeah, I, I, I posted something online that said it should be taught in schools. And I don't mean that as like a joke or like superfluous or whatever no. the word is, because yep. like it's a good, you know, uh, Gen Z didn't get to grow up with VH1 and MTV. And so it's like th things are so different now. But like Britney Spears had to endure all of this scrutiny and pain for the rest of us to like walk. Do you know what I mean? Oh, she walks yes. so we could like run that kind of thing. Yeah. And but I mean, I'm not even anywhere close to, to, to Britney. Britney's a fucking American treasure. Like I just <laughs> think she's it was so great to see Felicia on that documentary yes. because oh for us God. hardcore Britney stands, we've loved Felicia forever. And to see her was like so comforting. Since day but, one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, every, every day more we appreciate what Britney had to go through. I mean, you see her as a little girl and Ed McMahon asking her if she had a boyfriend. That oh. was the first the first, the only way a little girl has value if it's with a boyfriend. And then what he says to her, and, and she says, no, and he says, why not? And she says, they're mean. And he says, what about me? Mm -hmm. So you have a, I don't know, nine-year-old girl or whatever it is in front of a camera, in front of a live audience, feeling the pressure of systemic sexism. heteronormativity and sexism and misogyny to perform for men at that young of an age. Her only value on star search was, does she have a boyfriend? And then when she says no, and sa this is a little girl saying that they're mean, there is an old white man with a microphone in her face on live television 
you know, pressuring her to change her answer to please him. Yep. And Brittany, this is just a tiny example in the documentary that the stuff, the stuff that, that Brittany had to put up with, I'll tell you what, those paparazzo, like they're lucky that all their asses got was an umbrella against a car because Amen. any, Ruth. any of us are not even as close to as strong as Britney had to be through all that stuff. And a lot of us who are Britney stands our whole lives, none of this is like new, but what I'm so thrilled about is that so many people watch this documentary. It's un uh, missable now. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, for those who haven't followed, it's very, very easy and callous and cruel and like subconsciously institutionalized to us to be like, she's crazy. She shaved her head. You know what I mean? Where like any of us would have killed ourselves at that point and does a really good job in a short amount of time of streamlining all that she had to put up with to lead to where she is. Yes. And I think we collectively as a global society mourn for what was done to her throughout all of that. And what our truest wish now is for her to be as happy as she can possibly be because of what she gave us. Artists truly are essential workers. Absolutely. In this time where, where shit has gone down, what do we do? We turn to TV and we turn to music. And who has given us more joy through live television and music than, than Britney Spears, to be honest. Truly. It's it, she is the, the height of pop music. I mean, we got Michael Jackson, Madonna, and then, you know, we have, have Britney Spears and that is not a small thing. Pop music creates joy for people. All of us everywhere have memories with her music growing up. Absolutely. There's no part of the world that hasn't been touched by Britney Spears at this point. And I think it's, it's great that we as a global society are waking up to taking the steps to try to correct the wrongs that she had to endure for all of us. Right. You know, she didn't have Instagram. She didn't have Twitter at the time to, to speak her own voice. And if you know Good even voice. more details that weren't in the documentary, she tried to speak up for herself and tried and she dealt with it with such grace. Don't even get me started on Diane Sawyer. Like Oof. all how, yeah. how she dealt with all of it with and, a smile, I mean. Yeah, and we don't know everything I mean, she's going the, the, through the now. Picture. Yeah, I, I, just, and, I, I think one of the things that you're saying, Matthew, is how she led the way and, and how now as artists, as a society, as global, that it's time for us to, to speak up. Yeah. Not, not just be responsive or reactive to this, but yeah. to actually speak up and say exactly what you're saying. She's all, of, I mean, she's all of us because she was a little girl from a small town in Louisiana with a dream. Do you know what I mean? Like right. she just wanted to perform. She didn't come from money. She was the, she was the, she was the, the quote girl next door. And she, you know, I think she has a great voice. Is she Mariah Carey or Whitney Houston? No, of course not. She's Britney Spears. Right. You know what I mean? And she was able to build the like the iconography that is Britney Spears but she, but but one of the reasons why we love her so much is because she's a real little girl who had a dream you know like I think she there's different interpretations of what she's one really strong interpretation of what the American dream is one mm. interpretation of what the American dream mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. you know and I think we should be shamed the way that I'm just gonna say we that we treated her yeah the media, Prez Hilton, all this, you know, like, and I'm just, I'm thankful that it's, it's being seen. Yeah. Well, sure. it was, uh, 
even personally watching it, it was very convicting, even though I have loved her since day one mm -hmm. and been a, a huge fan of her since day one. But like you brought up the Star Search thing, right? Like I used, to, I kind of have a chip on my shoulder sometimes about like, oh, well, I was a closeted gay kid. So, and I was in the media as a child. And so I had it rough too, you know, like I had to come yeah. out and blah, 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 blah. You know what Ed McMahon's first question to me was on Star Search about two days after the Britney Spears question what? happened? What? I was six years old, but because I was male, do you know what question I got? I got read any good books lately, Blake? I was immediately intellectualized as a male. Yeah. And I didn't even... I was like, I'm and six. six. I'm six. I'm reading the the Good Puppy and Golden Books. You know, like wh whatever. You know, but like yeah. you go, like it was really because I, I hadn't even thought about that until watching and then us talking about it. I was like, Lord God, it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, like, it's a different chasm level. between it's, values that are imposed upon boys and girls. It's a whole nother level. But and, I have and again, to say could, something about Britney Spears being your generation, right? I have daughters that are teenagers and they know everything about Britney Spears. So this is, you know, she's she's generational, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Not just one generation. And my kids don't know that part, right? They just right. appreciate her music. They just appreciate, mm -hmm. and, and I think that's, it's time to open that box for her and allow her to be enjoyed by everybody for exactly who she was, a little girl who had a dream and accomplished it in spite of what was Everything. going on. Yeah. In spite of it. Yeah. We love you, Brittany. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we really do. We love you so much. I know we don't know everything that's happening right now. And, but again, I think, I think we can all agree that we just want her to be happy, whatever that is, and to have, as much agency over her own life as is possible. Amen. Yes. You know, and she's given us so much and does not need to, we'd be happy to take anything else she's willing to give, but she, she has given more than arguably any public figure has. Correct. <laughs> so true. Agreed. Agreed. Beautiful. All right. Well, before we let you go, Matthew, I want you to tell all of our listeners where they can find you on the socials, because in addition to all of the wonderful things you do, you are a great follow across social media. And I say oh, that as your friend, so but fun like and inspiring, but truly, <laughs> truly, truly, truly. So tell, tell the people. Oh, thank you. So I'm on my Instagram is Matthew underscore Scott underscore Montgomery. I got a long name, but I got a blue check. So that's the one. Just do that one. <laughs> Same with TikTok. TikTok is Matthew Scott Montgomery. My Twitter's a little weird. My Twitter is iRobotUJane. My name was too long for Twitter and I was very into Buffy and still am Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And that's season one, episode eight. iRobotUJane was the name of my Twitter yes. handle. And then of course on YouTube, it's just Matthew Scott Montgomery on there. And I do post quite a bit and I have a lot of fun with it and if you want to have fun with me great that'd be even better yay thank you well, so much yes you. thank you so much matthew for sharing all of your story with us and our listeners and we love you and now so many of our other friends and listeners are going to fall in love with you and we're, we're we're thrilled to have you so thank you thank you so much for having me it's been a total blast oh my gosh love i, I mean we know him but i feel like we learned things that we I didn't mean, we, know. We have experienced him. We have shared with him on stage. We are friends with him. But this, I mean, really, I, he should be giving a masterclass on 
recovery, tenaciousness, and what it means to be in the business. Right. And leading with humility. You know, so oh. many people think that like the hustle leads to, you know, because he's great, he's great at self-promotion. And a lot yes. of people think self-promotion and, you know, that, that that leads to not being humble. And he's just the opposite. It's really, it's inspiring that you can lead with humility and yet still be proud of your work and still promote your work in a really yeah. active way. I know a lot of us struggle with that. We could do a whole episode on that. And he actually gave me an idea that I think we're going to have to pitch for one of our shows. And that is bringing on our former guests on lessons they have learned. Mm. I like that idea. Yeah, I do too. I do. So thank you, Matthew. Thank you. All right. It's time for uh, your favorite segment and mine. She gets it. She gets it. Okay. (laughs) This one is aggressively. We're going aggressively specific today. Yes. (laughs) You might have to, you might have to watch the documentary to Britney Spears to understand this whole episode. Yeah. You might have to watch framing, framing Britney Spears, but, but our she gets it of the week is attorney Adam Streisand. He's in the documentary. If you haven't seen it, watch it. He's fantastic. He's the one that tried to intervene when Britney first went to the Beverly Hills Hotel before the conservatorship was finalized. And he was the kind of the last person on the outside before it all got locked down that got to speak with her. And it's very fascinating. It's, he's so smart and he, you, you feel like he knows more than he's leading on. Maybe he doesn't because he really specifically says, we don't know what we don't know. I love that statement. And he's also in, incredibly diplomatic. I mean, and what I didn't know until we had our, our pre-show meeting is what his career has been. I mean, he is, he is the lawyer to be to at. Artists, to artists. I mean, he's yes. worked with everybody. Well, he started, funny enough, he started by representing the Beastie Boys when he was early as an entertainment lawyer. Yeah. He won the first digital sampling case in the United States Court of Appeals. And for those of you who are not music industry Uh savvy, when a piece of a song is sampled without royalties, it's essentially stealing, right? It happens a lot in the hip hop world where like disco tracks or pop tracks or something is sampled into Mm -hmm. a into a rap piece but he was the first one but yeah he's he's done so much he's worked with quincy jones melissa etheridge i mean it it goes the list goes on and on he even he even represented kobe bryant in a defamation suit a few years ago so and now he's in estate litigation he went from entertainment lawyer to estate litigation which would make sense as to why he was uh involved with Britney in the early days of the conservatorship. But anyway, I just, you know, I th- he kind of, he didn't get a final button in the documentary. So we're giving him a final button. Like, I just think, I think Adam, just in the short time that I spent watching him in this documentary, I think Adam Streisand gets, a, and first of all, the name, I can't, how can we I can't. not love someone whose name is Streisand, sand like sand on the beach? That was an inside joke. I, I love, but here's the thing. He was in, he was hopeful. He, he created inspiration and, and hope for artists. And, you know, may, may, he, may he someday help Brittany or not, but just the way he presented himself and what he was doing, I just thought, yes, I want to know more about him. I was intrigued. Yep. yep. I was intrigued. I love it. All right. Before we go, our, uh, if you're joining us on Patreon, which you should, yes, patreon.com slash the Con Artist Podcast. Um, Very entertaining. 
we're starting to do like a little bit of more revelations on these videos. So you really should. It's not just straight up trivia anymore. It's like we're mm -hmm. revealing things. So oh yes, to oh, keep last week, this oh, to keep Lord. this <laughs> last week bless. <laughs> To keep this all in the theme, what we're going to reveal is our very first Britney Spears memory. The first time we encountered her, the first time we saw her, the first time we heard a song, whatever it is, you're going to find out from Alice and myself and our fearless producer, Melissa, what our first Britney Spears memory is. And once again, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Con Artist Pod, patreon.com slash The Con Artist Podcast. And we thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>